If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two taps on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come settle in for tonight's soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come join me around the fire for tonight's tale. I'd like to tell you about the night my friends and I built a treehouse in the clearing of nightfalls and gazed at the night sky from its lovingly crafted veranda. That night I watched as my wishes materialized as stars in the sky and counted myself lucky to be right where I was and not so much in need of any wishes at all. I've always been rather taken with storms, and that evening in nightfalls, the most mighty one I had ever known settled itself in the sky above the clearing. The quiet thickened along with the air around us, as dark clouds hung heavy in the sky above and prepared to roar in the bowl of the mountains we made our home in. When they could no longer bear their own weight, the clouds burst and I felt rainfall warm against my face and wetting my hair. The smell of summer soaked through Devani's clothes and into her skin as I clung to her on the beach. Together, we watched the elements temper the dizzying heat of the day. The rain fell heavier and heavier still, unerring in its attempt to wash away the heat of that summer. We stood stock still, anchored up against one another, 
in awe as lightning threaded itself across the night sky and thunder rallied around us. When the storm had finally moved off, the birds that had sought shelter from the raging elements in the mossy thicket sang their midnight song as they returned to what remained of their nests up in the treetops. I had only heard that song once before, on the occasion of the endless night when day and night tangled together and the clearing had transformed before our very eyes. It was a low and slow tune, lulling all who heard it just a little closer to sleep, carrying on the breeze after dark. Hearing the notes once more reminded me of that never-ending night I had shared with my friends and the magic of nightfalls months prior. That night, the changes in the forest had seemed as stark to me as that between night and day. It was harder to notice the change in the pine forest in the wake of the storm it had weathered that evening. If I hadn't known it so well, I might have missed the birds, who knew which nests needed mending and set about it as they sang their song. Perhaps if I hadn't spent nearly a year listening to the sound of fresh water tumbling over the cliff top and splashing into the lake below, I might not have noticed how much heavier it sounded in the moments just after the storm had finally exhausted itself and moved off. I might not have marked the otters in the river above that made fast work of repairing broken dams to slow the tumbling of the water over the falls and into the swelling lake. Creatures of all manner, some of which I had never encountered before, busied themselves about the clearing long into the night. For as long as we could keep our eyes open, Devani and I watched them working together to mend their burrows and drain the water from warrens. When we awoke the next morning, there was almost no evidence of the storm that had descended on the mountains the evening prior, save for a freshness about the air and the absence of the dry cracks in the soil which had been smoothed out by the rain. As had become routine, we set about our morning errand, Devani wandering off up the hillside to gather firewood, whilst I busied myself in the allotment. I'd expected the lot to be waterlogged and the crop to have been spoiled, but as I rounded the lake that morning and made my way towards the vegetable patch I'd planted in dappled summer sunlight almost a full year prior, I found that its harvest was almost even more bountiful than ever, no doubt thanks to the rainfall. 
I had thought I heard a creaking clatter in the woods the night before, but couldn't have been sure with the thunder roaring and the sound of the lightning searing itself into the night sky. When Devani half ran, half tumbled into the clearing, chasing after the rolling trunk of an oak tree that had managed to pick up far more momentum than her, I considered it confirmation of my suspicions. As the tree trunk rolled to a stop, Devani, who had no doubt flown through the forest at some point in pursuit of it, keen to alert us of its crashing into the clearing any moment soon, spluttered to a stop herself. She settled on the ground, leaning back against the thick tree trunk as she tried to catch her breath back. Devani's shoulder-length hair was, in large part, plastered across her forehead. The green trousers embroidered with silver thread that she had made the leisurely walk up the hillside in were splattered with mud I wasn't sure I would be able to wash out. A tree fell down, she exhaled, her breath finally evening out enough to explain her predicament. So I see, I nodded, unsure of what else to say. Devani didn't do anything without cause, but that afternoon it was harder than usual to determine her reasoning for rolling a felled tree halfway down the mountainside and into the clearing. A treehouse, she said, as her breath laboured in and out. I think we should build a treehouse. Whilst I'll confess to having liked the idea, I already got the sense that there might not be much of a we involved in the construction process. Have you built one before? I asked tentatively. No, but I'll be project manager anyway, so no carpentry experience is necessary. She smiled as that oh-so-familiar light made its way back into her eyes, and she explained, You and the others will be on the construction team, the engineers, if you will, crafting my vision with nothing but nature's finest materials and your own hands. Devani Dasgupta, I am nearly 74 years old, and I will do nothing of the sort, Lyra asserted from her spot beside the campfire. Lyra was right. The suggestion was outrageous, and I'd come to think that perhaps Devani herself was, in the very best way possible, a little outrageous too. I didn't think there had ever been an instance in her life where Devani had wanted for something and not immediately gone in pursuit of it, asked for it, or simply taken it. She had told me enough of her story to know that, while her approach tended to be fast and effective, it had on occasion landed her in hot water, sticky situations, up creeks without paddles, and in rudderless boats. It was one of the things I loved the most about her, that she didn't care like I tended to, 
not about what people might think of her or if she was living up to expectations. She didn't worry about whether or not she seemed impressive or if she was on the right path in life. In truth, I think it was because she simply didn't have time. She had always struck me as being so entirely caught up in the present moment that it made perfect sense she had simply never had a moment to concern herself with any of those thoughts or fears. The laughter catching on the corners of her words, Devani insisted that this is a dream job. I'm surprised you're not all biting my hand off to work on it. If it were not already obvious to you, I do not dream of labour. Lyra retorted, pottering about with my plants for a few hours and calling it a good day's work is one of the main reasons I relocated to the mountains. Devani didn't seem to have a comeback for that, so I settled the matter myself. What about this? I'll build the base of the structure in the tree and then we can use the spell work to do all the rest. I offered, managing to appease the pair. I think sometimes we forgot we could make use of the magic at any time for any purpose, particularly when we were in pursuit of something particularly human, like a nice veranda up in the treetops to picnic on and watch the stars from. Together, we set to work. Devani drew out her plans with a stick in the soft soil on the forest floor, and Lyra sat beside the campfire with her feet up, reminding us intermittently not to dawdle nor work ourselves too hard in the heat of the day. After a long afternoon sawing planks out of the oak tree with the sun on our backs, Devani and I wandered into the lake to cool off, and Anwen made her own appearance, asking rather abruptly what all the ruckus she had heard going on above the surface water had been about. Anwen's default setting seemed to be CEO and General Director, and so as we waded out of the lake, buoyed by ideas she had offered and half insisted upon, we began to use our magic to warp the branches of a great pine tree on the edge of the clearing and ready it for construction. Thankfully, it didn't take too long to establish the platform up in the tree, and with Devani waiting at the foot of the pine, ready to float me to safety on the breeze she could summon if ever I were to stumble or fall. I felt more than confident in my safety. There was no one I trusted more than her. By the time the platform was level and sturdy enough, the sun was already beginning to dip below the horizon. Lyra planted fairy lantern flowers around the foot of the tree, and together with the magic that fortified the soil in nightfalls, we willed the plant to wind its way up and around the tree trunk like vines, and into the branches that hung above the platform of the treehouse. 
we wove the branches surrounding the treehouse together to form pathways that would bridge the gaps between the tallest trees and allow us to wander safely through the canopy and live just a little closer to the stars whenever we saw fit. Anwin, Lyra, Devani, Otto and I parched in the elbow of a low-hanging branch and with the dousing of the elixir she had spent the afternoon brewing over the campfire and a few words spoken so softly to the tree that I could hardly make them out, Lyra bid the branch to carry us gently up to the treehouse. The branch lifted us to the doorway and waited there even after we had disappeared inside for the moment we elected to return to land. Without explanation, Lyra pulled yet another elixir from her fishing vest, made quite the show of rolling out an imaginary rug, and suddenly a carpet of soft moss was sprouting across the floor. It was dark enough up in the canopy that the fairy lantern flowers we had planted earlier with their soft yellow and purple-tipped petals, began to glow softly and illuminate the treehouse. We had decided to build all but the roof of the treehouse, for there was nothing truly better to fall asleep beneath than the shimmering night sky. With the enchanted fairy lantern flowers glowing all around us, however, it was almost impossible to make out the night sky beyond them. For that reason, Lyra took it upon herself to shush the flowers. I had long abandoned any attempt to understand the language or relationship that carried between my botanist friend and the plant life in Nightfalls. I could only assume that for a flower, Perhaps the loudest thing they could ever deign was to be light. In response to Lyra's shushing, the fairy lanterns flickered and faded. And from the darkness, a night sky more beautiful than I had ever seen emerged. Together, we tucked into the picnic Lyra had prepared. We split a bottle of wine that she had made herself with grapes she waited months to pick. Lyra had packed delicious fresh cheese and pickle sandwiches for Devani, egg and cress for herself, and avocado and sun-dried tomato for myself. We took a little time to furnish the treehouse. Devani drawing the plush cushions we usually sat on beside the campfire up to the treehouse, along with several of the cosy blankets that usually belonged in Lyra's cottage. Lyra made her best effort not to huff at our repurposing of her hand-woven blankets, and I made a mental note not to get crumbs on the one I had pulled over mine and Devani's knees. Full and content, we lay back against the soft moss beneath us, rested our heads on the plush pillows, and gazed up at the silent night sky. The quiet that settled between us was a comfortable one, one that felt familiar, familial even. 
Sometimes I wondered what my friends saw that I couldn't, or if they would be surprised by how different the world looked through my eyes. I wondered if Anwin heard the same hum of the plants that Lyra could hear, or if Otto heard high notes in the bird's morning song that I never would. Gazing up at the stars from the treehouse, and being just a little bit closer to the cosmos than I was accustomed to, I wanted to believe that I could see more of the stars in the night sky than I usually could. When I glanced over at Anwin, laid back against the soft moss, her gaze looked as though it were light years further off than mine had been. It seemed as though she saw beyond what we did and into an abyss I might never get to know of. I wonder if she, more entranced than the rest of us, could see to the very corners of the universe. I wondered if those edges were as sharp as I had imagined them to be as a boy, or if perhaps the cosmos settled softly into nothingness. As I lay there relaxing, I couldn't help but wish for more nights just like that one. I'd have sworn on the stars themselves that I'd be eternally grateful if night after night I could have Devani's soft breath drifting in and out of my ear. The stars settling silvery fire to the sky above me, and Otto laid across my toes trying to pretend his every thought wasn't angled towards the spare half-sandwich left in Lyra's picnic basket. I knew the moments our breath was steady enough for him to assume us asleep, the first thing he would do was nuzzle the lid off the wicker basket and tuck into the remaining half of the sandwich. I squeezed my eyes shut and took a deep breath in, desperate to draw in as much of that moment as I possibly could. A sense of deep contentment washed through me, for there had been something rather affirming about laying bare my deepest desires for the universe. Even in the silence that echoed around me, I felt seen, and I felt heard. When my eyes opened on the night sky once more, I realized that there was a new light shining there, and it took me more than a moment to realize that that light was my own. Perhaps it was fanciful to think of the stars that adorned the night sky as wishes pinned to the patchwork of the cosmos. Everything in me wanted to believe that for thousands of years, Humans had sat to bed to do their dreaming, and in the space between wake and sleep, where we had time to wish on what might lay up ahead and round the bend for us, we had unknowingly been etching our desires into the night sky. Perhaps those dreams, the wild ones that took up space and occupied thoughts in every hour of the night, had dug in so deep and scraped hard enough against the bounds of what we knew to be true that they had punctured the very fabric of the universe. 
poking a hole in the night sky itself. Perhaps what I had come to think of as stars were simply the light burning off of whatever waited for us on the other side of the unknown and shining through to greet us. As I sunk deep into relaxation and perhaps even deeper into thought, I came to imagine the stars as snags in the spool that knitted the universe together. Each time I made a wish, I made another tear in the boundary of the universe and got perhaps a little closer to whatever waited for me beyond it, in the bright, blazing unknown. I told Devani, Lyra and Anwen of my suspicions, my voice low as if to avoid startling the new stars in the sky. I know how lucky I am to have friends that hear me, even when that night I spoke not just of wishing on stars, but of wishing stars into existence. Lyra, of course, required some proof, and I was more than happy to oblige her. I closed my eyes, and beside me my friends lay gazing up at the sky doing their level best to keep track of the stars that filled it so they would notice when I created a new one with my wishing. I let the quiet of the cosmos wash through me and as it did, I wished that I would always feel its stillness, its calming quiet deep within me. I wished that its strength would always be mine to draw upon I had almost forgotten the point I was trying to prove when I heard a soft gasp coming from beside me. I opened my eyes and found myself staring at a new star, one that burned brighter than all those around it. The longer I looked at it, the calmer I began to feel. Wave after wave of peace washed through me, when I was finally able to tear my eyes away from the shining light of that wishing star, I noticed that my friends seemed just as enraptured by it as I had been. Smiling to herself at last, Anwen closed her eyes tight and made a wish of her own. I could never know what it was that Anwen had hoped for, but as I looked up at the silvering star materializing above her, a sense of joy seemed to wrap itself around me. When Devani's eyes closed and she made her wish, she seemed to draw starlight from all across the cosmos and gather it up into one great sun that burned a thousand times brighter than any around it. The longer I looked at her light, the lighter I began to feel. After a time I felt almost as if I could take flight and thought that perhaps that was something Devani might have wished for. 
I waited a while for another star to appear above Lyra, but she never closed her eyes. As the evening reeled on and I struggled to keep my own eyes open, I finally asked her if she might like to make one. Lyra shrugged against the soft moss beneath her, before she confessed, I have nothing to wish for, nothing to want for, nothing I need that isn't already somewhere within me. I'm perfectly content. At that, she lay her head down and finally allowed her eyes to close. Lyra drew a deep breath in, and as she exhaled, it felt almost as though she unmoored herself, letting go of the day so she could drift easily into a deep and restful sleep. We followed her, Anwin, Devani, Otto and I, into peaceful dreams of our own, as we stretched out beneath the stars and let the night reel on around us.